Oh, Lord God Almighty, Lord, who is like you, who is abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Lord, who is a God like you, who's merciful and gracious. And Lord, what can we say that if you be for us, who can be against us? Lord, we lift up this offering to you, Lord, and we pray that you would make all grace abound, that it will be used for the furtherance of the gospel, to minister to the saints and those who are without. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Dave and his family to you again, Lord. We know that you know all things, Lord, and you work all things for the good. And Lord, though you slay us, yet will we trust you. And Lord, you haven't given us a reason to doubt. You haven't given us any reason to fear. And we know, Lord, it's you that goes before us, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for all your precious promises in the Bible, Lord. We thank you that every single one of them is true. We thank you, Lord, that you stand upon your word and you've magnified your word above all your name. And Lord, as we get into your word, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord, that you would put your words on my mouth would be none of me and all of you. And Lord, we thank you for the Bible. It's the living, breathing, active word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword, breaking and piercing bone and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And Lord, I pray for all those here that don't know you today, that today will be the day of salvation. For Lord, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. And may your word go forth with power that your name may be high and lifted up. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen. amen. All right, so open up our Bibles, B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Uh, it's a gospel of John, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. For those who may not know, I'm just going to pretend like everybody's new. So I might say some repetitive stuff that you guys are like, I heard that. Oh, well, hear it again. All right. Amen. <laughs> Gospel of John, we, John chapter nine. Wait for you guys to turn. So Gospel of John, the apostle, I call it John A, not John B. John B is John the Baptist. So the apostle John A, who's the one who God used to pin this gospel. Gospel simply means good news. Uh, reference here, it's, it's simply the earthly life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some will say, well, why is there four gospels? Well, many reasons why, but essentially each of them uh, point kind of to a particular audience or to a particular uh, face of Jesus and representation. Some would say Matthew essentially was written to show Jesus as the king of the Jews uh, with over 66 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the book of Matthew alone, written primarily to a Jewish audience. Uh, a lot of Old Testament reference to the Jewish culture and customs. So we can say Matthew's gospel essentially points to Jesus as king of Jews and to a Jewish audience. And we have the gospel of Mark, super quick, leaves out a lot of details, but it gets right to the point, essentially written to a Roman audience to show Jesus as the suffering servant. Because see, the Rome, when they heard Jesus was king, they got a little bit afraid. They said, there's no king but Caesar. And the, uh, whoever wrote, penned it, we believe it was Peter's account, but John Mark was the one who wrote it, um, wrote to show Jesus as a suffering servant, that the Son of Man came to, to uh, su- the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life as a ransom for many. And then we get the Gospel of Luke, which is the longest one, 24 chapters. And Luke, we see mainly that Jesus, uh, written to the Gentile audience, that Jesus is the perfect Son of Man. If you guys are looking for someone to model your life after, you're looking for someone to follow, and you want to follow a man, Jesus Christ is your man, all right? That's the guy we follow. That's the guy we pattern our lives after. And then we get to John's gospel, which is vastly different from the synoptic gospels, we would say. 
And John's gospel particularly points to Jesus Christ as God, as God in the flesh, that he is the invisible God made visible. And we see that all throughout what we call the I am statements. For those of you who don't know, back in Exodus 3, when uh, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses was petrified and he, and he sent him and gave him the commission. And he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you tell them that I am that I am sent you, which essentially means I've always existed. The Jehovah God of the Old Testament. And so the writer of John, which I mean, the writer of the gospel of John, which is John, I love how he shows Jesus as God by not only by the I am statements, but also by taking them back through their wilderness experience. And he goes in and he turns the water to wine, kind of pointing back to the first plagues with Moses. Then he goes in and says, just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up back in the, the book of Numbers. Then he goes in and says, I'm the bread of life, pointing back to the manna that was in the Old Testament. Then we get the, the water, right? The, the rock. And he says, I'm the living water. Then, then we see where he says that I'm the light of the world, pointing back to when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they would look up to see where the pillar of cloud was. And at night, the pillar of fire, that's where they would go. They would follow him wherever they go. And then he goes into the good shepherd and all these other um, examples of Jesus being God in the flesh. And so I love how he points to that. So as we get to John 9, uh, he's already turned the water to wine. He's already fed the 5,000 two times. He has already uh, healed uh, the lame man by the pool. And we get to kind of a, a pretty famous story. I hope pretty much everybody knows it, but where he heals a, a man that's, that was blind. And so a lot of times we can read over this and we can skip over it. But as I was studying, I read it. One thing stuck out to me the most. Jesus did many, many miracles. Jesus healed a lot of people and people responded differently. But one thing that stuck up to me most, when this man was asked over and over and over, when he was interrogated, what happened? He simply said, a man called Jesus. A man called Jesus. A man called Jesus. Because the gospel is simple. I know a lot of people sometimes think, well, I don't know enough to share my faith. Well, I don't know all the, I don't know all the books of the Bible. I don't know where the Ten Commandments are. I can't quote scripture. So therefore, I'm just going to step away. I'm not going to share my faith at all. Well, this man here, he'd been saved for nine minutes and shared his faith with probably some of us have in nine years, right? <laughs> if I'm wrong, tomorrow prove me wrong. Go share your faith with nine people, all right? Amen? But he goes through this, and it's just so essential. I see it. He's bold, didn't, know, didn't even see Jesus because he was blind, and he constantly shares his faith with everyone who questions him, a man named Jesus. So therefore, I title the message, a man called Jesus. Amen? Key words to look to in this where we're looking at true spiritual uh, blindness, and the word eyes, sight, see, and blind are referenced over 37 times. There's a huge emphasis on the man born blind being a picture of all of us spiritually before we come to the Lord. The Bible says the natural man doesn't receive the things of God. They're, they're foolishness to him, right? They're spiritually discerned. We need God to reveal himself to us, but guess what? He's not hiding from any of us, amen? And so we see that throughout here. And essentially, saints, when we come to the Lord, all of us must come as beggars, not as creditors. Amen. God doesn't owe us anything, right? He gave us breath and life and seasons and everything that's good. But when we come to the Lord, we must come understanding that we need grace, that we need mercy. And we can't find that outside of the person of Jesus Christ. All right. Okay. Chapter nine, verse one, you guys there? All right. Let me get there. <laughs> First point from light to darkness, verse one in your Bibles. Now, as Jesus passed by, 
he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, to capture you up to speed, Jesus was constantly always getting into opposition against not the, the blatant sinners, not, not those who were uh, in harlotry, not those who were in open rebellion against God, but the religious folk. Those are the people that he was constantly in opposition against. Those people that are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. Those people that were teaching the word of God constantly ran into opposition with the Lord Jesus. And so back in chapter eight, he had literally just escaped them from stoning him because he told that that before Abraham was, I am, pointing to the fact that he's deity, that he's God in the flesh. So literally in 59 of chapter eight, it says that they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Notice he didn't run, you know, he didn't, he didn't sprint, right? And I'm sure he's probably pretty fast, he's the son of man, right? He didn't do any, notice he didn't do any of that, right? Because he has a calm, cool, collected spirit. He knows where he's going. He knows, he understands his calling and his purpose. And it says he passed by them. And then we get to verse one. It says, now as Jesus passed by, and this is gonna be him passing by the temple, he sees a man who was blind from birth. And so that is extremely significant because all throughout the Old Testament, we did see people who were, who were uh, eyes got sight, but they weren't born blind. They became blind um, throughout whatever process it may be. But I love this is that Jesus just escaped being stoned, not more than, more than one time, was, you know, happened often for him. And he wasn't too busy and he wasn't too concerned to care for this person who was blind. And essentially he's not too busy for you either. And no matter what you're going through, no matter uh, what, what's going on in your life, that Jesus is never too busy for any of us. In fact, that's his mission to come to seek and save that which is lost. For you note takers, Zephaniah 3.17, it says, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Saints, imagine being blind. Some of you guys are like, I'm already there, right? <laughs> but imagine being blind from birth. See, some of us, many of us could raise our hand and said, I've seen the beauty in God's creation. I've seen the ocean. I've seen flowers. I've been to different countries and seen so many beautiful things that God has created. This man has never seen that. You, we get to see our loved ones. We get to see smiles. We get to see frowns. We get to see all types of funny expressions from our little children, those of us who have kids, from our parents who are well in wisdom, I would like to say. Um, we get to see all those things, and we get to enjoy the glory of God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Creation testifies of him. We get to see all that. But imagine never, ever seeing that before. That's where this man is, this blind man. It's been said that, and I don't know how true this is, but about every 15 to 20 minutes, someone in the United States goes blind, right? So it's happening pretty often. Don't take it for granted, right? But this man, again, was born blind. Now think, at that time, and even still now, being blind was extremely burdensome. Why? Because you can't see anything. So guess what? You have to depend on people. I know some of you guys don't like that just now, and you can see with both eyes, right? But we don't like depending on people. But being blind, you have to depend on people. And those who were born blind had impossible opportunities to make a living. They couldn't become priests. They depended on others to care for them, needed constant direction, and often became beggars. In fact, essentially, that's all they were good for. And they would sit at the temple, and they would sit there and beg because they weren't good for anything. They couldn't do anything. Essentially, as I said earlier, 
Beggars is what you and I are. We have no merit before Christ. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no leg or bearing to stand on before the Lord. The Bible says we drink iniquity like water. We're doomed. The soul that sins will die and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm like, Josh, that's encouraging. Well, let me finish, right? <laughs> the Bible also says that all seek their own and not the things of Christ and each man proclaims his own goodness. But also the scripture says, but God, who's rich in mercy and which he loved us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive and therefore it is by grace that we are saved. However, it's our attitude when we come to the Lord. You guys have heard this said before, but a man named D.T. Niles once said, evangelism is like one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. And so as a beggar, again, spiritually, we have to understand we have, we have nothing to offer the Lord. Now he loves us and he, and he wants to use us. But when someone comes with the attitude of the Pharisee that God needs me, eh, ain't gonna happen. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jonathan Edwards, he says, those who truly come to God for mercy come as beggars and not as creditors. They come for mere mercy, for sovereign grace, and not anything that's due. Christ paid it all on the cross, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. Therefore, no greater love than this for a man to lay down his life for his friends. Amen? Still in verse one, where he says, born blind. This term was extremely important because again, in the Old Testament, there's nothing reported or even all of history at that time of anyone being born blind and healed. They all had lived that way. Yet later on in verse 32, it states, no one in the history of the world, in the text, had been healed from blindness. And see, essentially, saints, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. See, prophecy is extremely important in the Bible because, see, prophecy is one of the main affirmations of the accuracy of Scripture. See, prophecy means that whoever said it knew what was going to happen. And only someone who's been there already can know. And that's a characteristic of our Savior. He's all-knowing, a.k.a. omniscient, our omniscience, right? Amen? Isaiah 42, 7, for you note-takers. <clears throat> One of the prophecies about the Messiah coming. It says, to open the eyes of the blind, bring out the prisoners from prison and those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So when we see the word blind, it's not someone we see today where some people are partially blind or they have one eye. No, this literally means completely blind, darkness, literally lived in darkness continuously. We see throughout scripture also that Jesus, Jesus often healed blind people. Uh, for your note, you guys don't have to take it down, but there's certain accounts. Mark 10, 46 through 52, Jesus spoke to the blind person and then they were healed. Matthew 9, 27, 31, Jesus touched the two blind men and then they were healed. Mark 8, 22 and 23, Jesus spit on his hands and touched their eyes. I would opt out of that one. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Jesus comes and sees this man who was blind from birth. And essentially he's going to open their eyes, which we're going to see. Those of us who don't know Christ and before we came to Christ, that's what we were. We needed our eyes open to the truth of the gospel because we're all in spiritual darkness. May we all be attentive throughout our lives. Even though we may be remarkably busy, we see the example of our Lord that he wasn't too busy to minister. And I know all of us have busy lives. Everybody has a tale to tell, right? But essentially, if we can't make time for the Lord, we have some idols on our hands, right? We pass by people essentially every day. We have social media. We have all types of resources. How often are we stopping to minister to someone the good news of the gospel? Remember, 
these aren't just ideologies and ideas. These are people, right? And at the end of the day, when everything's said and done, the dust clears and the smoke settles, that's all that's going to matter is people and our Lord. Amen? Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Wow. So back then, and we, and we even do that sometimes today, right? Something happens to my aunt, man, what they did, that's, that's all, what they do, you know? We automatically point to something that they may have done. Back then, they believed that suffering, including blindness, was at least associated with sin. So even though Jewish law would even protect, protect a blind person, Jewish people acknowledged punishment for the sins of ancestors. So Exodus 20 would say that he would visit the sins of the father and to the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Some would call this generational curse. Well, something their parents did, so then, you know, that's going to happen to them too. So they had that misinterpretation. Now, is general, general curses true? Yeah, what happens is you set a bad example for your kids and they follow your bad example. And then they set a bad example for their kids and then they follow that bad example, right? Somebody's got to break the chain, essentially, right? So we should set a good example for our children. But immediately the disciples, they don't look at this person as an object of mercy, but they look as an object of theology. Well, who sinned? What happened? You know, and sometimes we can do that too is someone's going through something and we're not necessarily looking to pray for them, but we're kind of looking, well, what happened? How did this happen? You know, sometimes it doesn't matter how it happened, right? Bible says if one person hurts, the whole body feels it, right? We should be quick to comfort and pray for one another. You guys remember Job, right? The only thing his friends did right, remember, they came and they shut the trap right away for seven days, I think. And then after that, they were worthless. He says, miserable comforters are you all, right? <laughs> So sometimes <laughs> silence is better than saying some, the wrong thing. But essentially, all throughout the book of Job, they blame Job. You must have done something. You're wrong. You sinned. You did this. You had to have. You thought you were righteous, didn't you? And that's the wrong response for people who are in need. Now, while all infirmity is an di- indirect result of sin, that in itself isn't always the direct cause, Right? So if I get a cold or I get COVID, that doesn't mean I went and I uh, was gossiping about somebody, right? But the fact that these things exist shows that we live in a sinful and fallen world because we didn't have that in the garden. They said it was good, it was good, it was good, more good, good, and good, right? Except that man be alone and thank God I'm married, right? So we see that all the good was in the garden. God didn't create the world like this. But saints, when we judge others according to appearance, which is what we're good for, we can cause much harm to the body of Christ, I remember a sister in Christ, one week her brother had passed. He actually got shot. Then like a few months later, she lost her uncle and then her aunt. And many people went to her and and basically accused her of being in some type of rebellious sin or else God wouldn't have done that because they have this very, very cloudy ideology and theology about why bad things happen, right? And we need to be careful not to do that because after all that, she didn't want to come to church anymore. Now, again, we don't come to church for people, et cetera, et cetera, but people in the body of Christ can harm people by doing careless things like that. And saints, that should never be us. Remember, God works all things for believers, for believers. If you're not not a believer afterwards, we could talk, and then this will apply for you. All believers, okay? God works all things for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. So no matter what trial you may go through, it doesn't matter because God's going to work it for his good and to conform you into his image, right? Amen? Verse three, he says, Jesus answered, 
neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wait, what? So I go through, I, God purposely puts me through trials? He sets me up? Is that what, you, that what you're saying? No, that's not what we're saying. But God does allow things to happen and then uses them for his glory. Jesus responds to his disciples the eternal truth about why he allows suffering in this fallen world. Oftentimes I run into people and then sometimes I'm reluctant, sometimes I'm not to tell them I'm a pastor because typically I get the response of, I got some questions for you, right? I need to ask you something. And if I wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have got that type of tenacity, right? So often I get the question of, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? If God is so good, why do we have human trafficking? God is so good. Why do babies and little kids get raped? Why do people get murdered? Why do we have gangbanging? Why do we have all this uh, evil in the world if God is so good? And then people tend to blame God for something that's not his fault. Remember, God did not create the world this way. This is something apologetics for you guys because it's a question that people love to say to try to credit God with wrong, with evil. And I always tell them, first and foremost, let God be true and every man be a liar, right? But First and foremost, the Bible says that by one man, sin came into the world and death by sin. And therefore death passed to all men because all have sinned. God did not create the world this way. Because of sin, we live in a fallen world where all these things are happening. Essentially, it's our fault, saints. It's not God's fault, but sin came into the world. He did not create the world this way. And so what people would say is then it's God's fault. And what I tell people is, would you blame Let's just use Toyota. People like Toyota, maybe not. All right, I got a Prius, so I'm going to use a Toyota, right? It would be like me blaming Toyota for a drunk man wrapping his car around a wall and say, hey, Toyota, the, the car the malfunctioned, something happened, right? And they get the report and they say, well, the man was belligerent drunk and drove his car into a wall. That's not our fault, right? God created the world perfect, wonderful, glorious, and then something went wrong and it wasn't him. It was us. And so in that, God will still use that though to bring glory to his name because whether in sickness or health, God is glorified. Whether in judgment or salvation, God is glorified because he's both holy and righteous and loving, but he's also just, amen? And so he tells him, look, it was neither this man from what you said, it was his sin and it wasn't his parents' sin either but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You know what? I think of Job all the time. He never knew why that happened to him, but yet it's blessed all of us for over, what, two, three, 4,000 years reading that, all of us. And God worked that for the good. And that's how God operates, amen? Verse four, I must work, Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. So the Jewish uh, calendar, the day was split up 12 hours, 12 hours. So day and night. So Jesus compares day and night in regard to time and doing the will of the father. See, back then no one worked at nighttime. We didn't have all these fancy gadgets where you, you have these night lights and these big you know, shop lights where you can see things at night, except night shepherds and watchmen would work at night. So he says, no one works at nighttime. But the night is coming when, when no one can work. Jesus, again, which I love, he's only concerned about the will of the Father all throughout his ministry. And it's Jesus the one who is working the works of the Father. 
Right now, it's Jesus who does the works in us. Apostle Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. And therefore the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2. See, Psalm 40 and 8 says that, I delight to do thy will, O God, thy law is within my heart. We see again Jesus in Luke 2, the famous story where he got away from his parents and they found him and he said, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? John 4, he says, my meat is to do the will of the father and finish his work. John chapter 5, he says, my father's been working and I have been working. That's where they got that song. Even though you don't see him, you know he's working. I can't sing, but you know what it is. <laughs> then we see in John 8, he says, for I always do what pleases the Father. What a wonderful example Jesus sets for us. It's not about following man, although we do have godly examples we can follow. But essentially, saints, it's about doing God's will in our lives. And God's will isn't always what you want to do. God's will isn't what's always appealing to us. But God's will is always what's best for us. Can I ask you guys this? How much would our world change if all Christians adopted this attitude? A uh, Matthew 6, 33 attitude where we would seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things may be added unto us. How much of our lives would change? How much would our marriages change? Those of us who are married. How about our parenting? How about our relationships with our children, bosses, community members, estranged family members and, what, and so what? Do we take the word of God and put that as the final authority? Some of us don't. Some of us have it just as a secondary notion, uh, something that can go alongside my opinion and my feelings. Saints, God's word must be the treasure and apple of our eye. Amen? I don't think that's Jesus calling. <laughs> I think he's saying amen too. All right. <laughs> Saints, we need to make good usage of our time. May we also redeem the time and make the most of our time. We can do this by asking the Lord to direct our steps, spending time in prayer and his word, adopting Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 by trusting the Lord with all of our heart. And it's been said, if we don't abide in prayer, then we're going to abide in temptation. You can choose which one. I'd rather abide in prayer, although I don't always do it, right? I like to say, saints, we need to make eternal investments. And what I mean by that is, we make eternal investments with all of our earthly opportunities. Life is just but a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. When Jesus talks about the timetable, you look all throughout the gospels, as, well, all throughout the gospel of John, and he constantly uses the phrase, so he says, my hour, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Literally, he's living his life for the moment where he's gonna die on the cross. See, essentially, saints, death is something that none of us can escape. We all have an appointed time. The Bible says to point it for a man to die once. And then after this is the judgment, right? There's no mulligan. There's no second opportunities. Make the most of your opportunities here on earth. But again, we look forward to heaven where others don't have any hope. Ephesians 4 or 5 for your note taker says, walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. Romans 13, 12, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I tell the youth group kids, because they have their, their phones, electronics, some of you who are tech, technologically savvy and the ones who aren't, what it is typically with the iPhones, there's a little category where you can see where you spend most of your time on your phone. 
And essentially, if we put that up on the screen, where would all our time be? I hope you guys at least have the Bible app. Amen. (laughs) I hope you at least got that. And you got a little bit of time on the Bible app, right? I prefer the actual text, but sometimes I'll use the Bible app too. But essentially, saints, where are we spending? What are we doing with our time that God has given us? You know, he said, go therefore out and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. You know, saints, discipleship starts in our home. I know a lot of people that want to go be missionaries, but don't even know the names of their neighbors. Haven't even told their neighbors about the gospel, but they want to go 5,000 miles away and tell people about Jesus. But you got three feet on the side. You haven't told anybody about Christ. They may not even know you're saved, right? We need to be bold for the time that we have, but this can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Amen? On your outline, our lives are transformed from blindness to sight, death to life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that all who are in Christ are new creatures. B, our story for his glory. And this is when Jesus says that this was done so that the works of God can be revealed through him. Us being born again is for the glory of God. He wants to use each and every one of us. The question remains, are you going to allow him? Something you all got to think about. Is it your life or is it his life? Which one? You can be on the shelf if you want. You can, and you're going to be miserable because you're going to be missing out on all the opportunities that God has for you. I rather not. Amen? Verse five in your Bibles. As long as I am in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus again referenced uh, John 8, 12. He he tells after the, the woman caught in adultery, he says, I am the light of the world and all who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of men. Again, referencing back to the wilderness experience the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. Essentially, saints, the light was to illuminate the path to God. The light was to illuminate where God was going. And so they would look up and wherever the cloud went, that's where they went. And God sustained them. Their clothes didn't wear old. Their shoes didn't get old. It literally grew with them because God is a great provider. I usually tell people, look, outside of God's provision, you're outside of God's protection. And if the Israelites went anywhere outside of that cloud, they were not protected from their enemies. So Jesus says, hey, because I'm in the world, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Once again, when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit is given to the church, we are now the light of the world. I love how in the book of, um, you look at the gospels in the end of Acts, I mean, the end of Luke, you get right into Acts as if Jesus never left. Holy Spirit entered the church. They're Holy Spirit full of fire. They're doing exactly what Jesus was doing. They're saying exactly what Jesus is saying. And in one message, 3,000 souls were saved. Why? Holy Spirit. Amen? We need more of that. We need more people being filled with the Spirit of God so that we can work the works of God so that people may be saved and the kingdom added to. You know, Matthew 5 tells us that we're to let our light shine. Saints, how are our lights shining right now? See, another thing that trials present us is opportunities to minister to people. Because see, people don't want help when everything's going good. Oh yeah, everything's good. My kids are solid. Got good money in the bank. My house is good. I'm solid. I don't need nobody right now. But as you guys know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And so what this kind of pandemic has done is it's really opened people's eyes up to the reality of the eternity. One day I'm not going to have my stuff. My stuff's going to go. We saw people panicking, like, I got a, I got a store, but I, I remember going to the store and people were literally fighting to get water and toilet paper. <laughs> fighting. 
that's mine. Oh, it's mine. Tussling. And I was like, I'll just get just as much as I need. Found out later it was a bigger deal than I thought. <laughs> when I went there, no more toilet paper. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to happen, right? <laughs> but people took it serious, right? But they should have been running to the church house. They should have been running to their Bibles, right? God's going to provide all of our needs. But you know what it did? It showed people truly where their heart was. And some of you guys are like, that was me in there too. Well, don't, I'm not condemning you, right? You got to do what you got to do. Be wise, of course. But the pandemic really revealed where our hearts were. It really revealed where our security is. Your security is not anything in this life. That's why Jesus says, I'm not of this world. And if I was of this world, my servants would fight for me. And they're not because my kingdom is not of this world. But we're commanded to let our light shine. Do people know you guys are saved? Could you talk to someone three, four minutes and they, they can pinpoint it, whether you know the Lord or not? You know, if not, I would pray for you guys to pray for boldness. You know, Acts chapter four, they prayed after they got beaten and they rejoiced that they were able to suffer for the cause of Christ. They said, Lord, we pray that we would have boldness to hide. No, to share the gospel more with boldness because that's the message that the world needs to hear. How are people impacted by your light? Blessed by your presence. Do they come to you for prayer? Do they know you even pray, right? These are things that we all need to seek. See, there's no such thing as a private faith. No such thing. You don't hide your light under a bushel, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're supposed to shine our light everywhere we go, obviously only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I remember I had hired a, um, for those of you who don't know, I run two boys' homes. And so I have staff that are under me. I train staff and I work with social services. And so we're constantly looking for new staff. And I always pray for Christian staff, right? But I get it. I know I can't have my way all the time. And maybe those who don't know the Lord need to come into staff and I minister to them. I get it. But I had a staff member a couple years ago. No, actually last year. Um, I didn't remember him. He actually remembered me from when I was a teenager. And when I interviewed him, he was like, this is not the Josh Camper that I knew. This, this, like, are you sure you're, you went to this school, that school, that's your brother, right? Yeah, that's me. You know, you are a totally different person. And the bottom line is a man called Jesus. Amen. Change my life. Transform me. Darkness to light. Don't talk the same. Don't walk the same. Still got a little bit of the same humor, but everything else is different. Amen. And people should be saying that about us too. If they knew you before you knew Christ, how are we different now? Right? On your outline, others should notice transformation in us. That's point C. Verse six in your Bibles. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Now, I don't think that makes sense, obviously. If you want to clear someone's eyes, you don't put mud in it, right? In fact, if I'm blind and I understand, hopefully my friends tell me, hey, whoa, I don't, I'm going to question that a little bit. But imagine what those who are around thinking, the disciples are thinking, Jesus, like we've seen you heal people before but you're going to put mud on the eyes to get the eyes clear? I don't think that's going to work. But I love the fact that Jesus immediately gets to work. He spoke, and then now he's in action. But the blind man doesn't know the difference. See, a blind man is in darkness as long as he's blind, even if he's in the light. If you think about what the disciples may be thinking, I thought Peter probably thinking, let's just cut his eyes out and get him new ones, right? Because Peter's always lopping stuff off, right? <laughs> I think of Thomas. Thomas is probably like, well, if he was born blind, I doubt anything could be done. Unless I physically see Jesus make him born again, then he probably won't have his eyesight. 
And I thought about James and John. They're probably, let's call fire down from heaven. Go ahead and get that man new eyes from doing that. Because you think about, they're looking at this, and you, I always wonder, what, what were they thinking possibly when all that was going on? But the word anointed is not, doesn't mean like that special anointing that the mud was anointed. It just literally means to smear over. The power's never been in the mud. It's never been the oil. It's never been in some person doing it. It's always been in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's always been in the Lord Jesus Christ. This healing was a sheer act and grace of God, like all of them, okay? Just as God used the dust from the ground and clay to make man in the creation, so Jesus did the work of creation with dust and clay in this man. Since what we do sometimes is we think we could predict and, and, and guess what God's going to do because we saw the way he did it another time. God's not going to act on your timetable, and he's not going to act on the way you think. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, many of you guys know this. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Sometimes we could put God in a box. and says, well, he can't do this because I see A, B, and C. You can't put the Lord in a box. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. There are certain things that we're not going to know. And I'll be honest, if I knew everything about God, is he worthy to be worshiped? If I could figure him out, would he still be God? No. So we can't always figure out what God is doing, but we know he's working it for the good. Amen? Usually, when Jesus comes into our lives, our lives get worse. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of people would, would proclaim, oh, you just come to Jesus, your life will get that much better. And when you do that, and you go through trial, then what happens? I thought my life was going to get better. I'm out. Do you guys remember the parable of sowers? One of them was they rejoiced with gladness and then trials and persecutions and things came and then they faded away because they weren't rooted, right? So coming to Jesus doesn't solve all your problems, amen? It doesn't, but it gives you comfort. It gives you strength and it gives you understanding. And with him and by him, we can do all things, so many people would think that if I'm with Jesus now, everything's going to be better. And yet that's not always the case. And we're going to see this with the blind man. I look at Moses, Old Testament. You guys remember, delivered him with a mighty hand. Then you get to what? A cold he sat and the army's coming. Things didn't get better. It got worse. And then what God do? The supernatural, right? We're responsible for the practical. God does the supernatural. And though he slay us, yet will we trust him. Amen. Verse seven in your Bibles. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now Jesus commands the blind man, what he could have easily, we've seen Jesus speak and then things happen, right? When the centurion man say, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof, just say the word. And from that hour said he was healed. Jesus doesn't always do things, the same thing over and over but he commands the blind man to go wash. And this is kind of very similar to what we see in the Old Testament with Elijah, with Nay, I think it's Nahum, where he said, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And Jordan River is filthy. It didn't even make sense, right? It's very similar to that. We see, he says, go. Saints, faith without works is dead. Amen? If the Lord commands us to do something, we need to be faithful in doing our part. A lot of times we pray and do nothing. Amen? Faith means that you pray and then you act out what you prayed for as if it already happened. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray for that. If I'm praying for a job, I, I use an example a lot. 
I don't just sit around and not apply. Amen? Like, I want a job, Lord. You'll do it supernaturally, okay? And I'm going to sit back and watch Netflix. I'm going to see what the next series is. But I'm going to actually move and act in faith. So Jesus commands the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, this pool of Siloam, it came through Hezekiah's tunnel, and it was a remarkable engineering feat that was built in the Old Testament times. It was in Jerusalem. And it was from this stream that the water was drawn and poured over the great altar at the Feast of Tabernacles, which actually just ended. And the pouring out was regarded by the rabbis, and still is today, as a typical of the pouring out of the Spirit in the later days. So they actually view this as the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And that would make sense in a kind of type and figure, figure states. Jesus then gives the command for the blind man to go wash in the pool. And he listened. He obeyed it. Didn't even know who Jesus was. But he listened and he obeyed. And it said he came back seeing. Another sign again that Jesus is God for you note takers. Psalm 146 and 8. It says the Lord is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raised them that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. An entire life of darkness erased literally in minutes. Saints, that's what he does to us. What the enemy wants a lot of people to think is that you've sinned too much for the grace of God. You've done too much that you can't come to God. You need to wait until you get righteous first. And, And that's like waiting until you get clean to take a shower, right? You take a shower to get clean. You come to Jesus to get healed. You come to Jesus because you need him. Jesus truly turns beauty from ashes and makes all things new. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so saints, unless the Lord does it, it doesn't happen. Amen. To those who may not know him, Jesus is able to turn your life, your mess into a miracle, your tragedy into triumph, raise you from spiritual death into life and turn you from an enemy of the Lord into a child of God. Jesus always says, come to me. All of you are heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest. Now I know a lot of you guys in here are probably saved, but realistically, there's some people that think they're saved and they're not. And there's some people that are afraid to come to the Lord because they believe that he's going to cast them out. And so I'm always going to proclaim the message of the cross that it's never too late and that today is the day of salvation. Amen? Accept the grace today. Verse 8 in your Bibles. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, I am he. <laughs> Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes? Oh, a lot of he said, right? <laughs> it's a little part of our everyday life. He said, she said, right? <laughs> so those who knew this man before, they saw him daily begging at the temple and he was blind. It's something that we can kind of get used to. A lot of us, well, see, I'm from Oxnard, so we have a lot of people at the corners, a lot of people that are begging, a lot of homeless people in our community. We see that a lot and we see it often. And it can actually, it's actually, if I didn't see it, I would think something was off, to be honest. That's how much we see it. And so for us, it'd be like us seeing someone who was for years in that same spot. And all of a sudden, he got clean clothes on, 
got a Rolls Royce and he's, <laughs> and he's bumping tunes, you know, right? I'm like, yo, wait, that's not him. Come on, that ain't, that's not him. That's not the guy I saw 38 for 30. That can't be him. And so they're looking at this. What happened? How did this happen? How did his eyes get open? And most of the time we see changes, incidents or rare sightings, and we're always shocked. But the real question should be not what happened, but who? Reminds me of Paul, uh, Romans 7, as he goes through this struggle and trying to be obedient by trying to keep the law. And that's impossible, by the way. Um, And he's struggling. And then at the end of the day, he says, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God, the Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's about who. And so the wrong question was asked, not what happened, but who was responsible for the change? I think about um, Nick Vujicic. Are you guys familiar with Nick Vujicic, uh, Light Fell Out Limbs? It'll be like him coming in here, walking and talking and moving all around. A lot of them be like, that's not him. Or the legs, they're not real. They must be the, the ones they attach, right? But literally, this is what happens in the life of a believer, is that literally you were transformed from darkness into light. We're not talking about just a little bit of change, but we have new affections. There's, there's now this new desires for things that we never had desires for before, and we now actually have the power to carry it out. Guys, is there a difference between a tadpole and a frog? How about a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? How about this one, a Corvette and Megatron, right? There's a difference. <laughs> They're not the same. And so to us, we are not the same. And people should be asking, who happened to you? And you should always say the man named Jesus. Now, obviously it goes further than that, but it's a good start. Oftentimes I get divine appointments. I run into people all the time. The other day I ran into uh, a guy, he was selling candy and he was a Christian. He was in one of the Christian homes, which I'm very familiar with. And I wanted to help him. So I just started talking to him. And again, I, didn't, I don't always tell people I'm a pastor again, because I'll, I'll do the, you know, the spiritual warfare. I, I get it. But sometimes I just want to just minister to people, right? Because you say you're a pastor, and again, people got different agendas, all right? I talked to this man for two minutes, and, and literally, I started to see his face light up, and I thought somebody was behind me. And I'm looking like, everything good, man? Are you okay? He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, are you a pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man. Why you ask that? He goes, because I can see it all inside of you. I can see it all over you. Now, granted, I don't see that. And I'm just minding my own business, right? I was just trying to help him buy candy off him, right? But at the same time, saints, how do people see us? If Christ is coming into our life, and how are our lives now different? Because I'm telling you, there's this new wave of Christianity that people are claiming the cross, professing Christ, but have no possession of him. He does not live inside of them. They have no desire to obey him, and they don't even love people. Amen? And saints, that should not be us. We should be wanting to grow in the grace and knowledge, and our lives should be transformed. Again, our story for his glory. Amen? Verse 11, in your Bibles, he answered them and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Saints, we don't have to know everything about the Bible to share our faith. And I know it could be, it could be discouraging. I know a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible are kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know all that. I can share what I do know, but I don't know everything. And that's okay. It's okay to say, hey, you know, I don't know that question. I'll get back to you. But I do know that Jesus saves. I do know 
I was once this, and now I'm that. And what happened in the middle was a man called Jesus. Amen? That, that's what changed me. And so I can't give you all the details or whatnot, but I can definitely tell you that's who changed me. All this blind man knew was Jesus. And remember, he never saw him. He was blind. He was told to go wash at the pool of Siloam. He came back. Jesus was gone. But all he knew was his name. Remember, Jesus was both 100% God, 100% man. Man, we see in Hebrews 4.16, so he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He came to show us the image of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews tells us that he's the express image of the Father. He's the invisible God made visible. Saints, he came to live a perfect life and die in our place as a substitution sacrifice for our sins. He came to give us an example on how to live to please God. And he gave us his testimony. When the Lord does a work in our lives, it often grabs the attention of those around us. It's a divine opportunity to tell people what Jesus has done for us. This is who we were. This is who we are now. And like I said before, what happened in the middle was a man called Jesus. And we need to be faithful to proclaim that. Amen? And again, the Bible says anyone lacks wisdom, ask. It's that simple. Ask. You need to get in the fridge? Ask. Go ahead and get, get what you need. Come to the Father, right? But a lot of times, we have not because we ask not. We can ask for wisdom. The point is, do you want to, right? Verse 12. Then he said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know, right? So this is like evangelism 101. You don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> he didn't know where he was. I don't know. I have, matter of fact, I don't even know what he looks like, right? <laughs> and I love this because it really doesn't matter what he looks like. I get so many people all the time. They got people from like the black Hebrew movement. And I talk like, what, what color do you think he was? I said, I don't, I really, I mean, probably if he, he probably was like Arabic or something of that nature. That's what they looked like back then. I go, but the blood was red. So I think really all that matters is the, the blood that he spilled for us, right? Because at the end of the day, he's not just the God of the Jews, but he's the God of the world, right? It doesn't matter what color he was. And I love the blind man's theology here is I don't know what he looks like and I don't even know where he is, but I do know his name. And there's no greater name than the name of Jesus, amen? amen. Clearly, a miracle has been done a man who was born blind is now can see, and all he can say is the man called Jesus. And, we, and now the Pharisees are going to be upset. We're going to see here. So point number one, from light to darkness, our lives are transformed from blindness to sight, death to life. It's our story, our testimony for his glory. He does the works through us. And of course, others should notice our transformation. I like to say Christianity is caught more than it's taught. Some people are never going to read a Bible, never going to pick one up, but they're going to hear you say that you're a Christian and they're going to sit back and watch and you wait. And they're going to see if you're the real deal or not. And all they're doing is waiting for you to slip up and they're going to see how do you deal with failing? How do you deal with all other things? So they can point and say, ah, I don't want to be a Christian because look at you, right? But the bottom line is Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. Amen. And as we're forgiven, the Bible says he was forgiven much, loves much. And so we should be known by the radical love we have one to another. Amen? Point number two, counting the costs. This is a big one. Verse 13, your Bibles, I'm gonna speed up. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now, customarily, the Pharisees were the guardians of the Jewish faith. Jesus would, Jesus would say that uh, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. 
He said, therefore, do as they say, but don't do as they do because they're hypocrites, right? But they did have the spiritual authority. So if someone was ceremonially unclean, they had to do a certain amount of steps and then they would have to go see the priests and the Pharisees to get cleared to come back into Israel. So they brought this man who was formerly blind to the Pharisees and it was on the Sabbath when he did that. You know all the Pharisees were the Sabbath. They added so many burdens to the Sabbath, you couldn't even much lift a Twinkie in their Sabbath. All right, that was considered labor. That was considered breaking the Sabbath. Example, if a man was walking on the eve of the Sabbath and darkness fell while he was holding while he was holding his purse, they would like a money sack. He had to give it to a Gentile or put it on a donkey. Heavy burdens that added and not take away. This is how serious and religious the Pharisees were. And that's why Jesus always had beef with the religious leaders is that they added burdens, they didn't take them away. And that Jesus would later say that you, you uh, strain a gnat and you swallow a camel and that you neglect the weightier things of the law like love, justice, and faithfulness. And you should have kept them all and not left the others undone. And religion and traditions add, they take away from relationship. You can't have both religion, traditions, and rules and then have freedom in Christ. You gotta choose one. And constantly they would infringe upon people's liberty because of their misunderstanding of the Sabbath day. Think about it. What more glorious there to do on a Sabbath day than to heal someone, to do good? If I can't heal on the Sabbath day, what day can I heal on, right? Should, should I have waited? Should I wait till the Sabbath was gone to heal this person? And he constantly called it out. Jesus stated in John 5, my father is always working and so am I. May we never let man-made customs get in the way of serving people. This can happen a lot. For those of you who don't know, um, when I, uh, I was actually raised Mormon. My grandma was a Mormon. And so I remember back then, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the Mormon faith, but Sabbath day was a no-no. You couldn't shop on the Sabbath. You couldn't do any of that stuff on the Sabbath. Couldn't drink caffeine in general at all, right? And I always remember my grandma, we were super busy. We we're always in sports. We we're always doing, playing a musical instrument or something. And the only day she really could get groceries was on Sunday. And so I always remember her being petrified of going out to get groceries on the Sabbath because she was like, if they find out or if they hear about it, they're going to, you know, and she was just petrified. That should not, that shouldn't happen, right? We have freedom in Christ. Any man-made custom or tradition that infringes upon your rest in Christ is not of God, amen? Don't make any rules up that are going to infringe upon your liberty. The Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing. It was God's ministry to us to enter into his rest. But of course, the Pharisees made it burdensome. Shocker and a surprise, right? (laughs) Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I see. I love this again. He's consistent. I washed, now I see. A man named Jesus. I washed and now I see. Consistent. So the Pharisees now again to investigate him like it's the first 48. I don't know if you guys watched that show. I used to watch a long time ago. They're grilling him like it's the first 48 and they're asking him, how did this happen? This can't be. What happened? And notice there's no amazement. A miracle happened and you're not, you're not like praising God and you're supposed to be the religious leaders? Does that make any sense? Wait, you're, wait, you're the guys who memorized the Pentateuch. You have these big old philanthropies on your forehead. You're saying long prayers for pretense so everybody can hear you. You love the chief seats in the synagogues and you're not amazed at the miracle that was there? Saints, this is what religion does. This is what traditions and custom of men do. 
They suppress the joy that is in Christ. You can't enjoy your relationship with the Lord if you have a whole bunch of rules in, in your relationship with the Lord. You can't and you won't enjoy it. And that's how a lot of churches turned out today. Oh, the lights are too bright in the church. I'm not coming back, right? Oh, the sound was too loud. The music was too loud. It's not what I like. I'm not coming back, right? And that happens a lot of times. You go to churches and people won't come. They don't like to worship music. You come, they'll, they'll, they don't like, oh, he said something I didn't like. I'm out of here, right? Instead of just coming to sit at Jesus' feet. You know, I'll be honest, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I, I wasn't raised in the Calvary Chapel movement. I came, I, again, I was raised Mormon. Then I went to the Baptist church. I went to a Lutheran elementary and a Catholic high school. And so when I was in the Baptist church, hey, we worshiped, we blow the doors off, right? When I came to Calvary Chapel, I'll be honest, I came in, I was like, are these people safe? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I'm used to, we're used to worshiping, you know, that's how, that's how, that was our, but that was our culture. And that's what we did. But I wouldn't let that remove me from coming back to church, Right? If I did, that would be a problem. That's called legalism, right? But there's all these customs and things that we add to the grace of God. And we don't add to the grace of God. And we don't add to the cross of Calvary. How careless can we make religion? We elevate our customs over people and the glory of our traditions over the glory of God. We have surely created an idol. 1 Corinthians 13, I love which I'm sure all you guys will know, we would know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter, right? Actually, a rebuke to the Corinthian church because they had all the spiritual gifts and no love, zero. And so they were exercising spiritual gifts without the main functioning factor, which is agape love. And you can't have tradition of man and the love of God coinciding with one another. Jesus told the Pharisees that you neglected the weight of your things, like I said before, and continued to have these issues in opposition with them. Verse 16, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, what? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. John 7, John 9, John 10, a key where we see division when Jesus is involved. So I wanna let you guys know, Jesus does cause division, okay? <laughs> because here's the thing. You can't be on a neutral ground with Christ. You can't be on the fence, right? He comes to bring division. And a lot of people tell me, well, I don't like, don't talk. Man, I say, don't talk about politics and religion, right? You guys can keep the politics, but I'm gonna talk about Jesus. So the bottom line is this, is that when you come to Christ, he does divide truth from error because those two can't live together. And so he comes in and he says, I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And so anything that's contrary to that has to get cast out. That's the bottom line. So yes, he does cause division, but in a good way, because he doesn't let you sit there on a neutral ground and play both sides of the fence. You're not going to be able to have your cake and eat it too. You're not going to be able to hang out with the world and hang out with Jesus. That's the progressive church movement. Stay away from it. Step away, run and flee and leave your coat like Joseph did. All right. Don't do it. You're with Christ. He says, either you gather with me or you're scattered abroad. There is no middle ground with the Lord. And so, yes, he does cause division like right here. Essentially, the Pharisees completely missed it. Jesus was offering something way better than a Sabbath, which is a true spiritual rest that comes from God, Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30. The word divided, it means opposition, opposed to one another. And again, this is naturally what Jesus does. Verse 17, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So again, the Pharisees are relentless. They're still not in awe of the miracle. 
I'm, I'm, are they even saved? Like, do they even really know the Lord? We don't, we don't really know at this point. But they have this infatuation with religion and rule keeping. And they're still stuck on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, the blind man says, he's a prophet. And so back in the Old, Old Testament, you guys remember Moses and Joshua, they would do miracles. Elijah, they would do miracles. And that was a sign that God was in them or God was giving them the power to do it. In fact, um, Nick at night, Nicodemus, right? What did he say? Rabbi, we know that you're from God because no man does these works unless God be with him. We know that because of the sign. So the blind man, again, he hasn't seen Jesus yet. He doesn't know what he looks like, but he's always, he's already knows his name and he knows he's a prophet off junk. Same thing that the woman at the well said, sir, I perceive when he called her out. Now you have five husbands. Let's be real. Right? Stop lying. You have five husbands. Oh, you're a prophet. Right? No, no one would have known that. But they recognize this. Prophets in the Old Testament, as they would do these things, again, affirmed that they were called by God. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received the sight. Now they go to mommy and daddy. Come on. This is getting ridiculous. They say, okay, we don't believe his witness. We don't want to believe any of the ones that are around him, let's go check with mom and dad and see if they can verify. Let's go ask the parents, playing a game, it looks like. And essentially, they really don't want to know the truth because the truth is standing right in front of them, right? They really don't want to know the truth. And there's a lot of people in this world too that they see truth right in front of them and they want to ignore it. Because here's the reality. We're all accountable to somebody. And all of us are under somebody's authority. And so you can, I tell people, you can either choose to bow now in grace or you can bow later forcefully in judgment. I don't want him to force my knees to bow. I'll do it here in this life, you know? But some people, they rather just take it, I'll take my, you know, I'll take my chances if he's real, right? And I usually tell the youth group, look, I'd rather live a life like there is a God, die and find out there is, right? Than to live my life that there isn't and then die and find out that he is, right? And that's exactly who he says he is. And he opens up the books and my name's not in there. I want my name to be in there. And so I take this serious. But the Pharisees, they don't. They proceed to ask the blind man's parents to confirm if it was their son and get the account on how he sees. The blind man's testimony wasn't enough. And those who knew him before wasn't enough. Bottom line, do they even want to believe? Do you even want to believe? Because believing is going to cost you something. You have to change your life. Stop living in secret sin. Stop living a rebellious lifestyle. Stop living a double life. At the end of the day, what's done in the dark will always, always come to light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's going to expose that. And essentially, you're miserable anyway. That's the bottom line. Because see, God created us to be in a perfect love relationship with him. And until we do, our souls are restless until they rest in him. Amen? What does this truth mean for my life if I accept it? Am I subject to this truth or is this truth subject to me? Reminded of Luke 16, he says, can I just go tell my family about this place? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. If they don't hear them, then they won't even believe even if someone was risen from the dead. That's how powerful unbelief is. But he says, today, saints, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Saints, counting the cost. On y'all line, we will be mocked 
and persecuted. No surprise. And if you guys aren't persecuted, to be honest, you're, you're, you probably don't share your faith with too many people. If people don't mock you, if they don't say th- things about you, Bible says, beware when everyone speaks well of you. Probably a people pleaser, right? And eventually they're not going to speak well of you because you can't please everybody. So you must have like a circle of people that you know how to please and you just do that. But I'm not saying go out there and then be rude to people. The gospel is offensive enough. It doesn't need our help, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we, don't need to add, we don't need to add to that. <laughs> it's a stone of offense, right? I, I get that. But at the same time though, if we don't receive some type of persecution or something for our faith, then we probably aren't walking bold enough. I remember about four or five years ago, probably longer than that. It's when I, I feel like I was first filled with the Holy Spirit and I got a job and, and I was super radical. I'm like, well, nothing's changed, right? Anyway, I literally had scripture, like all my paperwork, my text messages, my voicemails. And I ended up having to go, uh, go to LA because uh, to see our actual government officials. Cause they were like, this is just too much. Like you have it on your phone, you have it all over there. And so I literally sat there with three social services, like head of the whole LA County social services. And they sat there and they literally grilled me. Like you have this paper, there's a scripture on here. Like you, we called your, your email has scripture on there too. Like, well, what is, what is this all? The, I'm, I'm a Christian as well, but I don't do all that. I keep it to myself. I'm like, well, that's you, right? <laughs> me. But I told them, here's what I said. And I knew I could probably lose my job again. Right. <laughs> and I, wasn't really that important to me because I know God always provides. But this is what I told him. I said, look, here's the bottom line. One, I'm not going to remove it. So let's get past that now. Two, what you're asking me to do is to literally rip my heart out of my chest and then continue to try to live. I can't do that. And so I'll take my chances, whatever you guys feel you need to do. And they're like, okay, well, just make sure the kids don't complain. Cool. Amen. We're good. But I get that all the time. You're too radical. It's too just don't talk about Jesus. Just don't, I can't, sorry. You probably shouldn't come around me then, right? Amen. But saints, how do people respond to us, right? And again, I'm not saying be rude. Don't be rude. Be kind, be gracious, be loving, but tell the truth because it's the truth that will set you free. We'll end it here. Confessing Christ before men, verse 20 in your Bibles. He says, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. Can't deny that. And that he was born blind. Can't deny that either. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Good answer. (laughs) Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone would confess that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the blind men, they confirm this is their son. They confirm that he was born blind, but they didn't want to say who it was because they feared getting excommunicated from the synagogue. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, for you note takers, that the fear of man brings a snare. Common theme of that day was that many people sought the praise that comes from man rather than the praise that comes from God. St. Galatians 1 says, am I even a servant of Christ or a pleaser of man. If I'm a pleaser of man, I can't be a servant of Christ. You can't please both man and God. You have to choose which one that's going to motivate you in your life. Amen. Now for them to get put out of the synagogue, that means all of their ties to the church, all of their ties to family members, their religion, their customs, everything they grew up with. Imagine everything you grew up with, all your family customs, all of your family traditions, all the ties that you have. I know when we were in Mormonism, like literally Everyone who was in the church, they had their own businesses. And so we had all these hookups through everybody in the church, right? 
And whether it was school, no matter what it was, there was a connection there. Imagine all of that being wiped away by this man you just met. You haven't even seen him, right? You don't even, and the parents say, yeah, we're not doing that. And they feared. And what happens is fear will cause you to disobey God. Amen? Fear will cause you to turn and, and run away and not be obedient. And that's why the Bible says over 366 times, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not fear the Lord your God who goes before you. And the Bible says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. He says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and the holy angels. Saints, we have nothing to fear. Psalm 27, one for you note takers. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And whom shall I dread? Are there things in the life that you guys fear? I know a lot of people were petrified of COVID. I get it. I understand. A lot of people haven't even left their house since last March. We're over a year. And there's people that are running around with five, six masks on and all types of other things. I'm just, I mean, I'm just, look, I want to be sensitive, but I got to be real too at the same time, right? Amen. Now, again, I had COVID. My wife had got it first. And I remember in our wedding day, it said uh, goodness, sickness, and health. And it said life or the rapture. It didn't say COVID. So I said, hey, what God brought together, let not COVID separate. So she got it first. And I said, you know, I can't. I'm going to go in there with you and get it too. So we all got it. We got through it by God's grace. I know some people pass away from it. Look, I get it. I understand. But we have no reason to fear anything. Amen? We don't, have, we don't need to fear when heaven is our home. We don't need to fear that the worst thing that happens to us here is the best thing that can happen to us in all eternity right? So saints, we need to walk in wisdom, right? Don't, don't be an idiot, of course, but be wise, do what we need to do, but don't let fear taunt us. And we need to confess Christ before men. All right, we'll finish next time if I ever get up here again. Um, <laughs> a review. <laughs> a man called Jesus. We're transferring a light to darkness. A worship team, come on up. And we need to count the cost to follow Christ. Saints, I want to encourage every single one of you guys, Tomorrow, pray for opportunities to share your testimony, your faith with people. He said, go therefore out and make disciples, not converts, people to follow Christ. And discipleship starts in your home with your children, with your spouse. Amen. We can't proclaim Christ and live a church life here and then go home and it's open sesame. All right. Let's live out boldly for Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that before the foundation of the earth, you chose us, you adopted us, you accepted us, you redeemed and forgave us. And Lord, that we have been enlightened and given an inheritance and that your Holy Spirit is a seal unto the day of redemption. And Lord, I pray for all those under the sound of my voice that don't know you. Lord, that dread and are in bondage to the fear of death, that they don't know what's gonna happen for them when they have that appointment with death. And Lord, I pray that today they would hear your voice and not harden their hearts. I pray that today, Lord, would be the day of salvation for them, that they would know that, you know, as you said in John 5, 24, Lord, that everyone who hears your words and believes on he who sent you has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Lord, we thank you for your great love. And we thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us. And Lord, we ask that you would go before us, go with us, be with Pastor Dave and his family, be with everybody in here. And Lord, give us boldness, give us courage. There's no better time than right now for such a time as this 
for us to let our light shine. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. The saints said amen. Let's worship.